The following program is designed to inform and entertain, not provide medical advice. You should always consult with your physician before starting any treatment. We will be discussing behavioral health interventions for crises and answering a listener question on toxic relationships today on Drinks and Shrinks. Welcome to Drinks and Shrinks, where we invite you to lay back, relax, and join us for an informal discussion on mental health with practicing therapists. My name is Ingo Weigold. I'm John Deku. And today we will be discussing an article, or I should say a study, on crisis teams intervening with mental health calls versus the police in certain states, as well as answering a listener question. But before we get into that, John, how the heck are you, man? It's like the middle of February. Are you surviving? Are you okay? I'm alive. You doing okay? Well, I'm actually just a, I'm a zombie right now. You I'm are. not surviving. No, I'm here. I'm doing, things are going well. There's been a very mild winter for us. and It has. You know, and things are already looking up. They're going in the right direction. I don't know. remember if the groundhog saw, do you know if he saw his shadow? Yeah, he saw his shadow. It's supposed to be six more decades of winter, but... What is that? I, I never understood I don't know. how that works. <laughs> I think it means nothing. It's just something stupid yeah. to do in the in February. For yeah, nothing to feel else to hopeful do. Hopeful about the future. But, right, right. Um, but things are okay for me. How about you? Uh, yeah, they're okay. I'm, I am. Uh, despite it being a mild winter, I'm done with winter. Like I'm ready for spring, summer. I want to be able to wear shorts again and get out in the sun and just chill out. So well, I'm you're like, known for your short shorts too. That's right, speedos. <laughs> I only wear speedos. Yes, but um, yeah, we have a you know we have a nice sunny day here today again. I think last time you were here it was pretty sunny too. It was last time I was catching a cold, too. Where I was getting sick. Hmm. Well, that's better than catching feelings, as the teenagers I work. Used to say. <laughs> I never catch. <laughs> <laughs> Don't yeah. catch any feelings. Yeah, catching feelings is the worst illness you can get. <laughs> you never right. want to do that, right? I love how they refer to it as that. It's like some sort of disease that you get. I always think it's interesting when they say like you, like there's you catch a cold. Uh-huh. You catch feelings, and also if you get arrested, you catch a case. Yeah, almost as if it's like a like like a malady that you get somehow. I don't know why they framed it as such, but that seems to be the the overwhelming thing. And then the problem with teens now is even young young adults. I think there's like a hundred steps between actually dating and not dating. Like there's it oh my gosh, you're not together, not together. There's like a hundred different versions of yeah. whatever situationship. Yeah, I feel so bad for kids now because it's like I think it's harder than ever to start dating people because the more i hear about online dating the more it sounds like it really sucks i think yeah i think it's anxiety driven and, it, and it's attention driven and it's short attention span so. well in some of the data i've seen and anecdotal data from talking to clients is like literally like 98 percent of matches or something like 95 98 of matches end up not going anywhere really Yes, and then the vast majority of even the ones where you do have a productive conversation, mm-hmm. only a small portion of those actually go to a meetup. Mm. So the mass, vast majority of people you interact with on these dating apps are like, they just don't go anywhere. And yeah. how many months or years can you just swipe and swipe and talk and talk before you get nothing? You're like, screw this, this thing isn't working. That's mm. why I think a lot of people find dating apps to be really unhealthy because it provides hope and then you just get nothing out of it yeah i can see that 
<clears throat> that was not my experience with dating apps when I was doing that. I actually enjoyed it because I felt it easy to connect with people. Mm. And then, you know, th you have to look at it though as like the date isn't like it's sometimes people on those apps that struggle. I think they're, they think if you go on a date, that's like um, the goal. But the goal is is to get to a date so you can figure out if you like this person. Mm -hmm. So you'll just be okay with going on dates and maybe not finding the right person for a while. That happens. Too. Maybe you're just really lucky and you're able to get lots of dates. I don't know. Maybe I'm that cool, John. I don't know. And good looking, yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but I would say uh, I would say women definitely get more attention than guys do. It's harder as a male to, because they get inundated. You know, so maybe we should do an episode on online dating and the effects of that too. We could, listeners. What do you think? Should we should we do such a thing? You know, it might be cool if uh, somehow we got people to chime in on online dating. Ooh, somehow, like maybe if we can get short interviews or something with people. You can even talk to people you know that um, and put it on your phone, and we can interject it into oh. the, the podcast. And we can comment on it. See, we're in re we're in real time here, creating a next episode. That'd be sick. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. But maybe we can. Uh, yeah, if you're a listener and you want to send us an email about this and you're willing to engage with us about that mm -hmm. kind of subject, mm -hmm. let us know. Yes. Questions at drinksandshrinks.com. <clears throat> um, but let's talk about this article, which is from usafacts.org, which they have lots of cool articles and reports and data. If you want to go crazy. Look it in the search bar. But this one's uh, titled, How Do Crisis Teams Handle Mental Health Calls Differently from Police? Um, so I don't know where you want to jump in on this. Well, you were reading more about the general um, mental health crisis teams in America and that article. And I was looking more into New York's uh, more recent Be Heard team. Mm -hmm. So... Why don't I share a little bit about Be Heard, and then you can kind of compare that to other data that you've sure. seen for the country. Yeah, of course. So New York City, I think it was in 2021, they, for some of their, not everywhere, but just some parts of New York, they developed a program for East Harlem and then parts of North and Central Harlem in which they have a, uh, be, what's called Be Heard, Behavioral Health Emergency Response Division. And they will send out, um, the, so somebody may call a 911 operator, and then the operator then decides, from what I understand, if they should be sending out police or the Be Heard team. The Be Heard team is two of either EMT or paramedics and one mental health professional. Mm -hmm. And the, the wonderment that they've had is, could this be used to help de-escalate apparent mental health problems? Because it's appearing like, um, one stat I saw is that untreated um, people with untreated mental health issues, when they encounter police, are sixteen more like sixteen times more likely to be killed by the officer yes. than citizens without a mental health struggle. And it is appearing as though it is it was working. Um, during the first year, they found that instead of eighty-seven percent of people transported to a hospital only 54% were transported. That means it, it seems like, what is that, 33% of um, the encounter, there was 33% less encounters of people going to a hospital. Mm -hmm. So they're able to link them to the community. And why is that important, in your opinion? Less people in the hospital? Mm 
Um, I think it's important because it frees up resources. I think for people who are, um, I don't want to say more in need, but might be better suited for the hospital setting with their particular type of ailment. Right. Um, so that was part of the issue with, I think, like during COVID is that the reason things were a problem is, is that because people were going into hospitals and taking space away from someone who's like, uh, you know, like had a catastrophic injury and now they can't get service because there's all these COVID patients. So it's like, it's systemically, I think it's important to know where to go. Like if that's why you shouldn't go to the ER if you have a cold, because Mm -hmm. that clogs up that resource, which is for someone who might break their leg, Mm -hmm. who might not go to a general doctor or immediate care for that. They might, you know, so like, right. I think maybe in that, I don't know if that answered your question, but that, yes. that's kind of how I look at it. Is, it, is, it does free up, and hospitals are extremely expensive too. Yes. And so if someone is, I mean, um, insurance plans are constantly trying to figure out how do we get people to go to the hospital less. Yeah. And so it's jobs like people like us, where if we have one of the assumptions is that insurances will pay us because the alternative is if people struggle, then they have to go to, insur- to, the, um, to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And similarly, if the hospital, if the people that they are treating are, let's say, underserved or on Medicaid or on some kind of state-based funding, then the state is now paying the hospital bill. And so Mm -hmm. if they could instead dedicate some funds to intervening before they have to go to the hospital, then there won't have to be as much of a risk of paying for the hospital too. And then the taxpayers don't have to pay as much either. and they found that 36% of people were, who were served by BeHerd were linked within the community triage. So there was different kinds of um, community services or groups that they could join. Um, they found that it was a much more, that people were much more accepted of the BeHerd program. Um, 22% of all 911 calls in the area went to BeHerd. So that's, one in just over one in five 911 calls end up being routed to this. So, one in five times instead of a police officer showing up, mm-hmm. they found that this was the better option. I don't think that they took when B Heard got there, they took them all. Um, and there's some reports that are suggesting that it might be a good alternative to excessive policing. But then the question comes to how much does it cost, too? And what I was finding is that B Heard. Uh, was given about thirty million in the first year and fifty-five million in the second year, so that's eighty-five million dollars. Which, when I first read it, seemed like that's a lot of money. But then, when you compare it to the five, Bloomberg reports that the twenty twenty-one or twenty twenty-two, um, I don't remember which one it was, a cost for um, in New York City to p- police was five point two billion. Yeah. So this is a fraction of that too that yeah. could be used if it takes about um, 22% of all the calls that could really reduce the the tax rate mm-hmm. and maybe even help more people to and prevent more people from dying and being hospitalized. Yes. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on this program and everything we've been Well, I, I think it's fantastic, and I was kind of shocked at the numbers, and it, it makes sense to me for a bunch of different reasons, but I want to point out a couple things that I found interesting to support this type of thing in this article. And um, if you do any research or if you've ever taken like an intro level psychology class, you probably will learn that what would have learned that early on human beings were being placed in 
um, hospitals, mental hospitals, or, you know, in the early 1900s quite frequently. Institutions. Institutions, thank you. And um, somewhere in the middle, like 50s or mid 50s, uh, there was a shift societally because they figured out that a lot of these places were not like they were torturing people and it just wasn't a, a great place for anyone to be. It was inhumane. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, sometime around 1955, um, the movement, ha- the FDA approved a drug called Thorazine, which is an antipsychotic, right? And they thought that this would be a way to have community-based treatment for people who are normally institutionalized. So a stat that um, the Department of Justice came out with said that in 1955, approximately 0.3% of the U.S. population had mental health issues and was living in a psychiatric institution. How much was that? Uh, 0.3%. So I don't know. Do the math. I'm not sure how many humans were there at that point. That number is, in 1999, they did another study. And that number is still 0.3%. So the average, the, the amount of mental health issues haven't increased as far as like the population that needed to be um, potentially institutionalized. But instead of being in a psychiatric institution, because now you've had 40 years, 45, 45 years almost, of this new way of managing this program, they end up in jails or prisons instead. Because I think there isn't, wasn't anything like what you're just describing um, in New York, where there are trained professionals able to go and manage these crisis situations. Um, and um, a lot of times, like what I found, the police are responding um, a lot of times to like um, psychiatric emergencies through 911 calls, someone's having a breakdown, right? Um, suicidal ideation. Um, public mental health episode, again, like somebody's acting out in public, maybe they have a, a personality disorder, whatever, and they're just acting it out in public. Um, and when you send police there, they are trained to do police-type mm-hmm. interventions. They are not trained to do interventions like we would do. Protect like, and serve, yeah. Right, like we would never grab someone and detain them when they're out of control emotionally. Someone's having a break, a panic attack in our office, I'm not gonna, you know, put him down on his face, put his arm behind his back and arrest him, right? We, her, we would try to figure out a way to de-escalate and help that person manage. And that's what these people are good at. Where mm-hmm. police, maybe they don't have the training to do that. And that's not a, I'm not faulting police because I think it's a terrible, difficult job. Right. But there's only so much they could do. No, learn. but right. And I wonder if part of what this is highlighting is that maybe it needs to be a team approach. So mm-hmm. you might have an officer along with someone like this, some ones, where they're almost partnered, like an officer's partnered up with someone who can handle, so they go on calls together, and then whoever, maybe, or maybe there's such a thing as a specialty, you know, like, I don't know, the military has lawyers, you know, so it's like, because they need people to do legal shit, right? So like, why can't police law enforcement have psychologists to do mental health shit, you know, to be like, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um I think across the board, this would be a good idea. I think I start to, if I can kind of pivot, I would want to think like, how do we get people to not just go to four years of college, not just go to at least two years of graduate school, but be willing to go to this program? Like, would you be willing to do this? I think if the compensation was there, I think yes. My, my concern would be putting my life in, in danger and not making enough money for that. So I don't know. I, I think if 
and the other part of it too is is like you can't really control like certain things but yes i'd be interested in it but i'd be concerned that i'm putting myself at risk for and you know so there's that i don't well it would more like so i used to work in community mental health and there would be people who'd have to do these like 24-hour rotations of being on call okay if you got called at 2 a.m you got called at 2 a.m you just gotta go to the the hospital or whatever it is and i think they would need lots of training but what it ends up being is a lot of the people that take these kinds of jobs are not the ones who've been in the field for a long time and who are um have a steady practice and have lots of clients and things like that they're people who are trying to get experience because they can't get a job outside of college right and so those kinds of situations historically from what i've seen also pay pretty poorly right um i think it's not uncommon for someone to make at least in illinois around thirty-five thousand a year with a master's degree is not much at all and that was maybe five to ten years ago but let's say it's forty thousand forty thousand let's again this is complete speculation but forty thousand dollars for this kind of work seems too dangerous and that's what i think the pay was to get up and go to hospitals and assess people who are in crises that's not going on the site where the danger is but it's doing a similar work of having to work these ridiculous hours and have Mm -hmm. to go do things that nobody else really wants to do and so i think this could be a really great program but i think any way you spin it people who go through the amount of education and training that we have we're not really willing to base our lives completely around this kind of thing you know what i mean like i can't hang out tonight because i may have to be on call right well that's why i think it needs to be more of a pol- police psychologist rather than a psychologist oh. psych- psychologist psychological policeman psychologically yeah 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 like i think it needs to be someone whose first priority and first experience level is law enforcement and desire to be affecting that in some way you know people i do think um people who are in law enforcement and i have quite a bit of experience anecdotally but i think they're wired a certain way just like i think psychologists like there there's a natural type of personality that gravitates towards being like in 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 the protect and serve game right so if you can find someone like that who's also interested in the mental health side of it, um, maybe they get a boost in pay because they now have specialized kind of yeah. kind of thing. Um, I don't see why it couldn't work. I mean, the th- the thing I keep thinking about is like the military has lawyers, like they have MPs, you know. They're, so it's like a specialized version of yeah, you're in the army, but you're also military police, or you're in the navy, but you're a JAG officer, like you, you know, you're a lawyer. So and so there's like. There's that, and that could be a stepping stone, like similarly to like a hospital setting. It's just another entryway into maybe going to private practice or whatever. But, yeah. but I agree. I don't. I don't. Can't see a senior. Now, I think it'd be cool to supervise, like a team of these people, for example, like young psychologists slash law enforcement people. I, I think a good supervisor would also be in the field as well. Yeah, you might have to. Right. So there's that. I don't know. But I love the idea of it. I'm just not sure who would serve this, you know. So it's it's hard for me to. But it, yeah. obviously, it works based on these numbers, you know. And this, well, you mentioned New York. This article talks about San Francisco. Uh, there's Texas. I think there's one in Denver, or Colorado. So and the numbers are all very very similar as far as like sending people who are trained in mental health. Um, they can de-escalate without usually 
causing major harm to someone. People die less. People get incarcerated less. Overall, it's just better. So, yeah, I've, I was finding that in the second year of the Be Heard program, it wasn't as effective, and the numbers had gone down in terms of effectiveness. No, but I think it's to say that it isn't to say the program isn't working. It's that it might need fine tuning to make sure that it's as effective as can be. Um, but you're right. Like there's other programs that I know. I think it was the one. There's one called what was it? Cahoots in Oregon. Is uh, that the one? Yes, Cahoots is one. Which and that probably stands for something. Eugene, Oregon. Yes, Cahoots. And that one I think was pretty effective too. Yeah, they, it says they divert between three and eight percent of all the calls from the city every, police every year. Well, that's a lot less than 22%. And they said 87 people, percent of people served by traditional 911 here. Um, similarly to, to um, the Be Heard, were also um, sent to hospitals versus like 50-something percent. So it's like the numbers are similar as far as what we're talking about. I just think it's effective in many ways, but like anything else, it needs probably some sort of regulation. I'm not sure how you, you know... Well, it probably starts from telling the taxpayers we're going to have to charge more to make <laughs> this team happen, Good luck. which nobody wants yeah. to do. No. But then in the long run, it's going to definitely, I think it would likely save on costs too because then you could divert less money to the police because you don't need as much and you could put more money towards Be Heard and then less money towards hospitals and state-funded insurance mm -hmm. is paying for that kind of thing. What, what do you think, like if Illinois and other states were to adopt this, what do you think it would have to start looking like? what would we need to do um i don't know like i i think paramedics police officers firefighters maybe these these places have a staff person that that's or a couple people that that's their job where they support the officers whether they're law enforcement or firefighters or paramedics in some capacity to go on these calls when it seems like it's a mental health situation i think that might make sense if there's like say the, you know, Chicago, that's a big city, so they probably have some more, more have to have more than one person, but or they can just do neighborhoods like yeah, like uh, you know, like I don't know, Edgewood or something, uh, like Edgewater, sorry, um, so something like that. So you'd have one or two people that could manage that neighborhood, mm -hmm. and when there's a paramedic call or there's a firefighter or whatever, one person goes out with this group of people. I think that would be a way that. Could, what about you? What do you? I think it need to be a whole team because I, I think it was in a year. Yeah, from July first, twenty twenty one to June thirtieth, twenty twenty two, there were eleven thousand mental health nine one one calls. Wow, and that was in for be heard. So it need to be definitely a team. Now I know Chicago is only a fraction of the size and population of. Um, yeah, but still pretty big. So. Yeah, I mean there are just like boroughs of New York that are much larger than um, all of Chicago. But still your point stands that like maybe we could have a small team that's just dedicated to a certain area, you know, like you said, like Edgewater or whatever, it might be a river north or something where they say mm -hmm. we're only going to get this section here. Uh, maybe they have to be dedicated to living in or near that area. Yeah. And they, if they get a certain amount of calls between the time of, 9 p.m. to 8 a.m., then they get like a boost in pay or something like that, you know, or they get reimbursed mm -hmm. at a certain rate. Because um, it needs to be appealing to people. 
because like if you like to go to your point though if you're in the military and you're working as a lawyer there's a lot of incentive to do that right mm -hmm. like you get paid well the benefits are great i'm not sure you get either of those benefits here working with this kind of thing maybe the well maybe, maybe you should that's the thing yeah so it's, you have to create a whole infrastructure for having people be compensated and have maybe a career path from this to something the next step you know yeah so. i think there's also a, a slight pivot i think there's also a lot of con questioning about the issue with violence in our culture how much of it is due to quote-unquote guns and how much of it is due to quote-unquote mental health issues and it's difficult because many of the people who end up going on these violent bursts or mass shootings are males mm -hmm. who are angry and lonely mm -hmm. and are suicidal mm -hmm. that narrows it down to what five million people in our country well, <laughs> right yeah like how we, how do we stop that how do you stop angry, lonely males? And this could be something. <laughs> find them, find them wives. No, I'm yeah, but <laughs> but I mean, this could be something that could be a better intervention, theoretically. I mean, at least it's a step in the direction of trying to assess those kinds of people. Yeah, but it still doesn't help us answer how do we get to them, too? Because if they don't show as many signs, or we don't know what signs to look for, or the signs are what, you know, how many teenage guys or, you know, young adult males do we know that aren't angry or lonely? I mean, of course, that's the lighter end of it, but those are the kinds of factors that end up happening with so many people who go on mass shootings, which mm -hmm. seems to be very terrifying for a lot of us. Yeah, the mass shooting worry, yeah. worry about. Do you worry about that? A little bit sometimes, not so much, maybe as others, but yeah, like especially. I remember one t after the remember the Las Vegas shooting, the movie theater. No, that was in Colorado. Was it a nightclub? That was in Florida. Oh, <laughs> it's sad how many. The Las Vegas one was when there was this outdoor concert, and this guy was in a hotel, oh, and he okay. just started. He killed, yeah, he sure he hurt a lot of people, and right like a week after that, my wife and I went to a concert, um, to Austin City Limits in Austin, Texas. Oh, great! That's awesome. It was awesome, but it was like, an outdoor music festival a week after mm -hmm. a bunch of people got killed at the last one and so we're over here being like is this i I'm, we were kind of like e what if there's like a copycat kind of thing yeah you know and we were nervous about it and so it's like there needs to be i don't know what the answers are and that's another uh, conversation for another day but hopefully a be heard kind of program could theoretically screen for these kinds of things more or watch out for them more mm -hmm. i don't really know well, the other thing that might be a good start is to have someone on call that officers or whoever can call, can contact in the midst of this sort of a thing. Like, I have this person here who's, a, this is what's happening. Can you give me some feedback in real, almost like a, you know, I don't know if the 911 operator is trained to do that in some capacity, to talk to the officers or not, but something like that, you know, or, you know, I don't know, because I think to train an entire police force would be a lot. I don't know that you can get buy-in enough where it would be effective. Yeah. You need a specialized person or personnel, I think, to do that. It's insane what cops already have to mm -hmm. learn, too. Like, they mm -hmm. have to pretty much know the law, and, like, if someone's breaking the law, yep. it's, and they have to also be, like, physically fit. And, yeah, to add more to their plate, does to me, doesn't sound very realistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So maybe there'd be a team of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice if this was something that continues, you know, but it's hard to say. And 
The other part is is the areas where it's probably needed most. I wonder if they have enough resources to actually fund something like this. You know, and it makes me think too. Like, there's some pretty bad areas in Chicago, as there are in any city. But I know historically, Chicago last 10, 20 years has had some of the really bad ones. Like, yeah. Who would want to work in that? Right. <laughs> like, would is there anybody who's willing to get a master's degree or even a PhD? Right. And then said, you know what I want to do is I want to go work late nights on the weekends and try to help the most dangerous areas. There are people like that, but it's like... Well, they're called police officers. Yeah. <laughs> That's and, what... And then there... But the police officers who are willing to go through a lot of schooling. I think right. those those people exist. I think they do. And, and then if the pay is good enough. Yeah. There's just so many barriers, I think, to making it work mm-hmm. that we have to like... I think our com- our culture is really getting around like a mental health shift, but I don't know what it would take to actually get this to go from talk to action. Good question. Probably lots of money. And I don't know. New York's able to do it. I'm imagining other states can probably do it in capacity too. It's just, I'm not sure. I'm trying to see if there's anything else from this article. I mean, yeah. The, the overall takeaway for me, like I said, was I think this works. Yeah. And they've used it in some major cities or across the country. So I'm uh, hopeful that this is going to start spreading because of the success level. You know, it's so. promising. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, I think there's a lot of fine tuning we're going <coughs> to do over the next decade or so. Yes. Of other organizations doing this kind of thing, starting them, you know, and hopefully, I mean, I know a few years ago there was a lot of talk about defunding police and making trying to find different interventions i don't think many people believe in that anymore but it still could be valuable to say do we really need to have police be the people that answer all of these kinds of things and can we say we could take some of the funding from police and put it more accurately into other areas perhaps yeah just to match the the police uh union's gonna like that no it's gonna be a lot of pushback on that one just to match the community's needs, you know. Right. Yeah. Shall we get on to the listener question? Right, let's do it. Do you want me to read um, it? Or are you going to read it? If you don't mind, I'll read it. Sure. Uh, so this is Adam P. from Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. Hi, Adam. Adam says, hi, guys. My friend is dating a girl, and she is awful for him. She is king- clingy gaslights him and constantly thinks he's cheating she drinks and i think gets violent with him but he's so much bigger that no one would ever call it abuse what do i say to him to help him i think what he's trying to say is how do i get him to leave her yeah well that's the thing i think you know i can obviously there's been a huge me too movement the last few years um and i don't want to like disrespect that because i think these are different issues potentially but this also happens in relationships where men are you know the recipients of emotional physical abuse and all kinds of things and a lot of times it doesn't make sense because it sounds like in this case it's very similar where the male is physically much more imposing than the female but somehow um the gaslighting and abuse that's happening um is happening and he's your friend is allowing it to happen for whatever reason. Um, so that's a tough one because there's a little bit of, uh, I think, difficulty in getting anyone to even believe someone to say, like, you know, 
she's abusing me like and someone looks at that and goes yeah but you're like 100 pounds how's that possible right yeah especially if they're jacked and taller and the, right. and the female's a lot smaller so what would i i would tell i would say hey your friend probably could use some individual therapy um if i look at this through the lens um of the mother there's probably some mother stuff going on with him somehow previous I would have a therapist look at or have him look at his relationship with his mom. Does she abuse him the way his partner does or similarly has in the past? And maybe that's why he allows it. It could, could be insecurities, could be feeling like he doesn't, can't get anyone else, you know, whatever. Maybe he's trapped. Hmm. So what are your, what are your thoughts? Well, I want to go, I like this direction you're going in. Like if we were to be meeting with them for individual counseling, like what would be some of the things that we would encourage? And you're already kind of referencing a more psychodynamic approach, yes. which is like, what are your relationships with your parents and how are they affecting your current relationships with these people? And there's this mirroring that we can do. Um, mm -hmm. Freud had this term, maybe you remember it, where he, the repetition compulsion, where you have this urge to be like, my relationship with my mother was broken so I can repeat it here with this relationship until I finally fix it. That's a common theme in people who have been um, who are being abused is they want to stick it through, and Freud would notice how interesting it is that you stick it through to try to fix it, but maybe this other one was never fixed. And then Freud would also say that you unconsciously are connecting the two, um, which is, I think may or may not be true. But then that hopefully leads the client to have insight to say, "Look at me try to do this. I need to try to get out of it." Mm -hmm. I think an approach I'm. Um, I wouldn't call myself a psychodynamic kind of therapist, but I think an approach I might take is to ask, is this person living the life that they want to live? And are they going in the direction that they want to go? Is it working for them? Mm -hmm. And chances are the answer is no, otherwise they wouldn't be meeting with me. And then we could say, so what do you, what do you want to do to get there and make it more about their own motivation for change? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, other thoughts about that before we go to Adam's question. No, I, I think it makes sense to, I agree, exploring other attachment, attachments, that's, we, did we talk about We talked about yeah. that, yeah. So like exploring, in a previous episode, if you go back, I don't know which episode it is, but we talked about attachment, and I think a lot of times why human beings as adults allow themselves to be abused is because they had a, a broken framework for what attachment is like, um, and maybe exploring that in therapy, um, the hard part is, is though your friend is bigger and more powerful than his partner, but he hasn't left yet. So I don't think, Adam, that there's anything you're going to say to him that's going to make him want to leave. It has to come from inside. So, Right. What, what can Adam do, if anything? Listen. Be supportive. Um, maybe do a little bit of what like you were saying, mirroring mm -hmm. what, you know, when your friend comes to you being empathic, empathic being present but also reflecting back what he's telling you right so so that he can hear himself sometimes mm -hmm. people hear themselves out loud or if we you know bounce it back to them then it's like that's what i said you know yeah, and which this is, is this is what i'm letting happen you know so which is a fundamental skill in counseling that we do reflecting paraphrasing which i think we did in one of our first episodes yeah. too right and as a reminder to anybody who's listening, like just because you're bigger doesn't mean it's not abuse. And maybe we can even, I don't know if we should say this for another episode, but what would, what do you think are some things that males might get 
in abuse? Like what might some common forms of abuse look like for males? Against males? Yeah. Um, I'm, I think physical, like hitting, pushing, shoving, for sure. throwing things. Probably underreported. Under, way underreported because it's difficult, and, and I've heard this um, many times, it's, it's really difficult to go to like a police department and say, my wife is beating me. Like there's not, you, you have, it's hard to get anyone to believe you on that. So there's that, but there's also the emotional abuse. Like could be with, you know, if you have children alienating you from the children, um, uh, gaslighting, like I think he alluded to that, he right? Did, yeah. Like crazy making behavior where you're constantly being told what you feel and think is wrong and their perspective is right. You know, things like that. Um, and withholding affection, mm-hmm. You know, using as a form of currency, you know, only giving a affection when you serve that person's needs and withholding it. That's you know? a big one I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like, Do you have others? Like, yeah. Well, just to comment to what you said, I think withhold, I think there's a very common one that can go both ways, but I think guys can often struggle with where they sit, where they hear, if you don't do this, then you don't love me. Mm-hmm. right and no relation should be based on any one action or yes. any one phrase or whatever it might be you're getting them the right gift um gaslighting i think we've probably talked about before but gaslighting just for the listeners again i think this is a phrase that's getting that gets tossed around a lot but gaslight i believe comes from an old movie i think it was yes called i think gaslight and the plot of it was from what i what i'm i remember just reading an article about it or something was that the person was led to believe that they were going insane because the abuser was constantly manipulating their life and then saying that didn't happen, that didn't happen. And so gaslighting is a real, I don't know if, Adam, if you're using that term accurately, but gaslighting is when somebody deliberately messes with someone else. Um, Maybe that's moving the furniture around or saying that they said something that they never said and then saying that it never happened. um, and then getting that person to question their sanity. And so things like that, I think, can be common going both directions. I would wager the emotional, what was the phrase that you used? Like emotional wagering or withholding emotion? Withholding, yeah, like withholding um, affection. Like, ah, so yeah. like it's a currency. Um, uh, um, like you only give affection when that person does what you want Mm -hmm. so like oh you didn't take out the garbage so now there's you don't hug me like you don't love me because of that or i think the gaslighting thing has a so i was looking up it's from a play that got turned into a movie right Mm. and where the husband is uh messes with the wife to the point of trying to alter her perception of reality like Mm -hmm. turning lights on and off and leaving dimming the lights and like she can't make sense like that's part of what it is is like um uh, denying someone's feelings, for example, like mm-hmm. saying like what you're feeling is wrong or saying, I never said that. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, or when pl- plainly, so, or I never did that, right? I didn't do yeah. that. What are you talking about? You know, so and it's, it's a way of like getting us to question our own sanity. If this happens enough, 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 it's traumatizing where you mm-hmm. start to question your own view of reality. Mm-hmm. Because, Trusting yourself. Right, because there's this person in your life who you're supposed to be, you know, connected with intimately, who's telling you that your perception of what's happening is not accurate. So in the beginning, you might be like that, whatever. But as time goes on, if you know you've been married or whatever, you start to wonder if what they're saying is true, and then that's that's a form of abuse. 
you know so right but that's i think where a lot of people will say you're gaslighting me when it's really just they're disagreeing and i think gaslight is that's a for- different right gaslighting is a form of abuse that's done <clears> to get power over someone by making them think they're crazy rather than saying no i didn't say that what are you talking right. about like and just disagreeing on it right mm-hmm. it's a it's a pattern of this kind of thing not a, any one given instance um, but it nonetheless is a form of a, of abuse or trying to abuse. gain yeah. yeah trying to gain power. Um, I think like I'm hoping that as time goes on, men can get a better understanding that women can have a, some explosiveness or anger or some control that can still justify it being called abuse. It doesn't matter which gender or sex the person is; it's still abuse either way. Mm-hmm. Would there ever be a point that you think it would be wise for Adam to discontinue being friends, to give an ultimatum? Like, I'm not going to be your friend if you're with this abusive person. I mean, Adam, if I'll answer the question directly to him, if that's something you're thinking about, I would only do that for your own mental health and well-being because you've hit a limit with engaging your friend and his partner Mm -hmm. through third party by proxy in this dynamic. I think uh, it, that would be manipulative. I'm not a fan of what you just said. I, An I ultimatum. No, because it doesn't work. You know, yeah. you're not going to get Adam. Uh, he, he didn't say the person. He didn't name. say his okay. name. No. You're not going to get your your friend isn't going to do what you want because you're manipulating him. Mm-hmm. That's a form of. You could question whether that's abusive or not. The way you phrased it sounds a little bit of like emotional manipulation. Now, if he were to say, "Look, like." I can't be involved with this anymore. Like I want to be your friend, but because you're in this, I can't do this anymore. So if you want to set some boundaries and say like, we can hang out, but I don't want to hear about that because you're not changing anything. That would be something I think would be okay. But as far as like saying I either you pick me as a friend and get rid of that person or I'm getting rid of you. I, I think that probably isn't a good move. It can be very cold, but I think it's a, that's an approach that's sometimes necessary with like alcoholics. You know, it's to say, like, yeah. you're choosing me, you're choosing the, the, the alcohol over me, and I'm going to refuse to do that. Like, if you want me to be part of your life, you need to stop drinking. Yeah. I think it's it's a lot weaker of an argument to use that with relationships. But, I mean, yeah, I think, like you said, though, maybe there's some extreme, really extreme cases where it says, like, I can't, I'm not going to support you if you're with this person. It's just horrible for you. Right. You know, Um but I would say in 99% of cases, it would be probably, I agree with you, it'd, it'd be better to reflect and to listen, take them out for a drink or dinner. Mm-hmm. I like to think, um, try to be as honest as you can be and show them that you care. Say so like, I, you're really important to me and your well-being is important to me, mm-hmm. but I'm worried about you. Right. You, know, you don't talk about what they're doing or wrong you talk about your own feelings in it. It's really important to me to see you thrive and be the person I know you want to be, but I'm afraid that's not working for you now. Like, what do we do? How can I help you with this? That doesn't mean he's ever going to change. He might just say, just support me in my relationship with this person. And then you kind of have to accept that and swallow it. I think it's okay for him, for Adam to tell his friend that he thinks his relationship's abusive and point out all the things he has an issue with. Um, I would just err on the side of caution of offering up any sort of ultimatum unless you're willing to follow through with it. I think a better way to frame maybe saying either you get rid of this person or I'm gone is to say, I 
cannot participate in what you're doing anymore. So yeah. if you're choosing to do that, then I don't I can't participate in that anymore. So that's more of a self, like saying you're not telling him what to do. You're just saying I'm not going to participate. And that would be a, a different way of phrasing the first thing you said. Yeah, when you choose that, I choose this. Right, and that has the same effect, yeah, yeah. I guess, in, in essence. Right. Put, putting. I think it's an extreme measure, but it sometimes yeah. can be necessary for some cases too. But I think most of the time support and be seeing the person behind it rather than right. making almost like saying, like, if you don't do this and I'm going to leave you, that ends up, I think, being really hurtful. And sometimes... What some people might do is they'll walk away from that friendship and be like, screw them, I can't believe John did this or whatever it might be. And then other people will say, I'm alone, no one's there to support me as I get out of this relationship, mm -hmm. which you don't want them to go through that too. So it's, no. it's a tough question. It's a really tough question and it's a fine line you know, when you're talking about abuse of this type. I think, I think this is an area that's definitely underreported and underserved. Um, and it's just, you know, especially nowadays, I, I, I think uh, men are probably less likely now than ever to ever report something like this because who would believe them, right? So if you're, if you're listening and you think like, you're thinking like, oh, Adam could be talking about me and my relationship, I, <laughs> I would encourage, or if you're a female and now you're going, ooh, I've done that, right? Or it's happening to you. Or it's happening, right? So just be, don't panic, but maybe consider, um, we're big advocates of this, obviously, going to talk to someone about it and trying yeah. to make sense of um, what's happening. Because I think, Adam, for your friend, it is a framework, like we had alluded to, that he's familiar with and that is serving some sort of purpose. If yeah. he wanted to leave, he would leave, right? So I wonder if he can leave. Maybe he can't because it's the way he lives. Mm -hmm. And the only way I think that gets resolved is to go through the past and do some work on yourself and figure out, like, heal that part of yourself, I think. Figure out why you have that need. Yeah. And then, naturally, you will attract someone else that doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. Because when we have better boundaries, people either respect those or they leave our life because, mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to let them do things that they, we used to let them do. There's a filter as to who gets in and yes. who gets out of your life, yes. right? I want to say, too, my last thought about this is that, um, uh, of course, I'm a big advocate <clears throat> that this person goes to counseling. Um, maybe it would be useful for Adam, too, to kind of think through this. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I don't, I don't undervalue you good friendships and yeah. family. And just go talk to a bunch of people. You know, ask them for their opinions. And for Adam's friend, maybe the question is, how do I get out of this relationship? Go talk to the people you care about who know this person. Mm -hmm. Go talk to people who know them really well and people who don't know you very well. And maybe you can get different perspectives and that helps us to both process it and get it off your chest. But also just to say, what do people who care about me have to say? I like that. Another thing I just thought of, which is something, Adam, you might recommend to your friend, is to keep a thought journal for a while mm. and write down how he's feeling about his relationship and how he's experiencing it and, and have him go back and read it like every week or so go back and maybe every week or two go back and read what he's been writing because sometimes it's another way of seeing in looking in the mirror more closely mm -hmm. and if enough time passes and he's still in the relationship or even if he's not sometimes and i've done this myself it can be shocking to see yourself a snapshot of yourself in the past before you healed yeah and you go holy shit like yeah 
who is that person, right? And why would that person, I would never allow someone to do that to me now, but at that moment in time, he did. And so it's like, that might be a way of like some sort of reflect, without going to therapy, that could be a way for him to like get, make sense of how he's actually feeling. Something I like to do is every night when I do my gratitude journal, I ask myself, You what, think about me and you say you're thankful for me. I'm you? saying, God damn it, I have to do another episode with Thank Ingo. God for Ingo. He's the best. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll write down what my, what my general mood was for the day. Oh, nice. Okay. And it's a good way to get a, an assessment of like kind of the ups and downs of being human. And maybe for you, Adam, you can, if you were to keep a log of your mood, you can assess you can ask yourself, how much does this thing bother me? On a scale of one to five, five being like, I can't take it, I never want to see him again, versus a one, this is nothing. Where is it for you that day? And if you notice that it's going up and up over time, maybe it's time that you have to have a more drastic intervention towards doing something with your own anger. Yeah. Well, that's another good thing, actually. Just So Adam, you might ask yourself, why, why are you so angry about this? Why do you care this much? Where's your own anger coming from? Mm-mm turning the tables on him yeah ask yourself that question why does that bother you so much that your friend is struggling in that situation have you gone through something similar um is this creating some sort of we talked about transference i think in the previous episode are you having some sort of counter transference like what what he's experiencing you are relating to part of yourself you know maybe some way of reflecting and maybe that'll give you some adam some peace about navigating because ultimately it's his life right so yeah Maybe you could get to a place where he could live it the way he wants to, and you could still be his friend. Maybe not. I, I don't know. So, Any other thoughts you have about this before we move on to our last part? No, I think, I think I'm good. We're going to get to uh, um, our favorite part of the show, right? Guilty, <laughs> pleasure, leisure. Guilty, leisure, yeah. Why don't you start off? But By the way, guilty, leisure is something that I think I want to broaden it to something we've either done recently or experienced that we want to share or just something we've been thinking about um geez something i've been thinking about vacation but uh <laughs> um do you want me to start yeah i mean go ahead i i have a show i've been watching which i find i'll just mention it so there's a show on uh, apple tv plus called shrinking jason mm-hmm. siegel the actor is uh the main protagonist i suppose and i find it very endearing because it paints him in this light of He's like a wounded healer and he's a hot mess because he had some traumatic thing that happened to him like a year prior and he never recovered yet from it. But he's actively being a therapist in the midst of this and doing many unethical things that seem to also be effective in some way for his clients. So, and Harrison Ford is, you know, um, like the leader, the, the, the director of the practice. So there's a lot of dynamics. It's quite funny. It's a comedy. So if you like, you know, want to have a glass of wine or something, glass of whiskey, and uh, or beer, and um, sit in front of a TV and have a few laughs. This is not that far off from what reality is like being a therapist. Is I think, it? I think there are ver- there are versions of us. I'm sure we you have friends in this field who are more of a put together, and some of them are a hot mess. And it's just kind of like, and it's not always the same. It's like, you know, as life changes. They still do therapy, but they have turmoil in their life, mm-hmm. you know. And that's I'm a hot mess. So am I. <laughs> I'll own that. Yeah. No, there's a lot. I'll be honest. There's a lot of really shitty therapists out there, if you ask me. Yeah. And they do a lot of unethical things. But yes. Yeah. I haven't. I haven't seen the show, but I've it's heard. really funny. I I would recommend it because there's a bunch of shrink shows all of a sudden. Yeah. 
Um, there's one with Will Ferrell uh, uh, and Ant Man, whatever. That one wasn't my favorite. It, I liked it. Did you? Well, it was based off a podcast. Oh, okay. a real story. And I thought the, the shrink re- next door or whatever. Yeah, I thought that was really good. I haven't finished it yet. I'm like five episodes in. It's okay. This is more like Friday night. Like I'm laughing. Some yeah. of the sh- some of the shit he does, you're just like, oh my god. If only I could like actually tell the client what I'm thinking, right? <laughs> it's just because there's there's moments yeah. where he's like, let me just tell you, and you know, he's, well, Carl Rogers would say, how do you say that kind of thing in a, in the most empathic way possible? Yeah, he's not. He's just off the rails. Yeah, he's because he's a hot mess, you know. So you just trust me. I think if you like comedy, this is a good show. You'll get a good laugh out of it. What do you have? I don't remember if I said this one, but I've often referenced my favorite philosopher, Peter Singer. And I just re- finished reading one of his books, The Life You Can Save, which is free now. It came out 10 years ago, or 2009, I think. And it's free now as a podcast, as a downloadable audiobook, as a thing you can read. Hmm. It's free. It's free. And he talks about the argument that we should be giving more towards people in need and that we don't need to buy beer we don't need to buy chipotle we don't need to have fancy things when there are very realistic and easy things that can help um really Mm. really good charities out there and he gives a good argument the audiobook is read by some of the people from the tv show damn what was it called the good place kristen bell kristen bell Bell. yeah um she does one of the chapters and it's just I think, you know, I, I, I like I'm um, I'm actually pretty passionate about charities and I think that we need to get a conversation going about giving and how we don't need to have so many expensive things and we can use that to give more to other people. So I just want to encourage that if you think that you're in the spirit to give, you know, even a little half a percent or one percent of what you make, mm-hmm. I think it's a really honorable thing. We should be praising one another for doing it. Mm-hmm. And and in that note we're we have now a new uh Click the donate button on our... Do we really? I'm just, I was going to say. Kidding. Perfect timing, John. Well, how about this? If or when we ever get a sponsor... Yeah. I haven't decided yet, but I promise to give a large percentage of how much money I get from it to charity. Yeah. No, it's good. So giving to charity. And we do that, you know, in our private practice work, you know, at times. And I've done it personally, given money, given time, yeah. know, whatever. Seeing people at a discount. Yeah, it's good It's good to give back. But there, there's there's ways that are like, you can give someone a seeing eye dog. That's like, I think like $25,000. Yeah. Or you can use that money and there's like preventable vitamin A treatments that can be used to help 10,000 people right. see again, you know. Yeah. So there's there's ways that like we can give a client a free session, but it's almost more valuable if we collect money and then give it to others who need it in a more desperate way too. So makes sense. It's just really interesting to think about how do you be the most effective and help people, and the amount of people who are starving on a daily basis has gone down since 20 years ago, and it's just interesting to see hmm. how do we get that to be a net zero. Yeah. You know, by I think I want to say UNICEF says they want to aim for I think it was 2030 or something like that to have no children starving and malnourished. I like it good goal yeah difficult but i just want to encourage everybody to think about that kind of thing mm-hmm. good peter singer you say huh yeah always talking about him you yeah. are yeah um well good so that has been an, another edition of drinks and tricks my name is ingo michael i'm john decker i'll see you guys next time later peeps mm-hmm.